0: Welcome to the pilot episode of the Second Mouse. I'm Chad Betts, host of this podcast. The purpose of the Second Mouse is to demonstrate that success never has an expiration date, and what success means to you is different than what it means to other people. Listen in as we get a different perspective on success from Deacon Joe Colatar. Deacon, welcome. How are you doing today?
1: Very good, Chad, and it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. You're not only a friend, but a parishioner who I enjoy spending time with, so uh, it's a labor of love.
0: That's great. I really appreciate your time today. For our audience, and for me too, what is a deacon, and how do you become one?
1: If you look up the translation of the word deacon or diaconate, it means to be one of service. And all the years I was brought up on the Catholic faith, there were a few years younger in life, I had thought about maybe looking into the priesthood, but then went to college, got a degree in marketing and mass communications, decided that the business world was going to be where I headed. After many years and being married and having children, I started to get an urge. It wasn't exactly a specific calling or a conversion, but I had felt being drawn to the church in a way where I could give back to God all the blessings and graces that he's bestowed upon me. So obviously being married I couldn't enter into the priesthood. I just thought it was a perfect opportunity once my children were a little older to head in that direction and a deacon quite frankly is not only of service but they assist the pastor or the vicar any way possible during the week. At masses, baptisms, weddings, funerals, it's quite a vertical challenge. But nonetheless, I went through five and a half years worth of formation, which was, to be honest, grueling at times. But I was ordained in 2018, and it was the biggest gift, other than the birth of my children, that I've ever had, and and uh, I've never looked back.
0: Wow, five and a half years—that's a long time. What kept you going with that? That's especially if it's grueling.
1: Well. I tell you what, you bring up a good point there, because along the way, there was a couple of times where I doubted myself. And I was told by the director of the diaconate formation that Some of your friends might not understand, you know, you may lose a friendship because you have less availability. It's going to take a strain on your family because one weekend a month, it was like boot camp. We'd go with our linens and our pillows on a Friday, stay all weekend over at the diocese, come back Sunday night. And it was a grind, especially for someone like myself that hadn't been in college in 30 years, forgot about writing term papers, bibliographies, footnotes. It was just a lot of balance with a full-time job, being a dad, being a husband. And there were a couple of times that I did wear down and, and I had to pray on it and discern on it. And there was a couple of times where I reached out to friends, priests, and said, pray for me because I was not in dire straits, but doubting myself. And the interesting thing too, Chad, we started off 22 people taking the test. They whittled it down to nine. Then after we started, there were six of us. And by the time the five and a half years ended, we were down to three. So it's actually a battle of attrition. That's how difficult it can be because it is. You make sacrifices all for the goal and the common good of serving God. And once in a while, I even have to pinch myself that I did get through it, but it was God's plan.
0: Now, a lot of people have that issue with self-doubt. I mean, we go through, we have a big goal ahead of us and with a five and a half year program, that's a huge goal. But for people outside of that too, how did you overcome that self-doubt to continue going?
1: It was a lot of prayer. It was, thankfully, I wouldn't have been able to do it without my wife, Laureen, because she was my rock during the whole thing. She had told me to keep focused, stay on that path, because there were a lot of distractions along the way. But I also was buoyed by the fact, Chad, that the gentlemen that were ordained in the class before me and subsequent others prior to me, I saw what a difference it made in their lives. So knowing full well that they had the same battles that I did but they stuck it out became ordained the bishop assigned them to a particular parish and I found it so uplifting and fulfilling for them so after a couple of me wondering whether I should continue it got a little easier over time after a while I said well I've gotten through 3 years I'd like to get to 4 and then by that time the holy spirit took over and and obviously Asking for help from my brothers and from my wife and praying on it was essential. But again, it was God's plan that got me through. I'm smart enough to realize that even all the help I had internally, it was God's plan that got me through.
0: So you had a support system and you built momentum. With the support system, obviously, God's a big part of that too. But for, for those who haven't maybe found your faith as deeply on the human side, how did you build that support system?
1: You know what? One thing I didn't mention at the prior question was, believe it or not, I also needed a support system in the business climate because obviously I was in sales. I was spending a lot of time in New Jersey. And that in itself is difficult, both the short term and the long term. So I had to have A company and an actual report to or a boss that was understanding in my undertaking. And they, too, told me to persevere. They would make me able to make certain sacrifices, sometimes to leave early on Friday on a formation weekend. And they helped me. And also, a lot of my account people realized the undertaking and they would automatically give me words of encouragement and words of support. So it went out not only from the business world, but, you know, like I said, at home, my spiritual brothers, it was an effort that was all encompassing. Being in the sales world, you know, there's a lot of travel involved and There are a lot of deadlines and commitments. It was just trying to focus and get balance, which, again, I needed all the time to be reminded that what lied ahead made it all worthwhile.
0: So you bring a balance. That's a good point. Now, for you, since I know a little bit about you, and we'll let the audience know a little bit, you commuted to a job two states away. You have family. I believe you said classes were in new york so that was a state away right and the-
1: no actually the classes now are in new york they're in dunwoody yonkers new york these were at the diocese of bridgeport so there was the fortunate part it was okay stones throw from home so that okay. landscape has changed
0: Okay, so you only had one two-hour commute a day rather than two. How did you balance with that? With the large commute, sales is a 24-hour-a-day job, family commitments. How would you find balance?
1: Yeah, and, and to add to that, it was two hours each way. Not so two hours down to New Jersey, but essentially two hours back. And fortunately, in the world nowadays, as much as it was a hassle, you could telecommute. There were so many times going over the Tappan Zee Bridge that I might have been in the middle of negotiating a deal, going through the rigmarole of having a purchase order signed or an invoice paid. So although I was in the office down in New Jersey during the day, you know, you had to be smart with your time going to and from work as well. Mm -hmm. And then knowing especially the week prior to a formation weekend, that I couldn't rely on doing anything at home, you know, salespeople obviously use the weekend to their advantage where they deem it appropriate. But there was one weekend a month where I had to completely put my job aside and focus on the formation. But again, too, balancing the work that I had to do to support my family and be cognizant of studying for exams and writing papers became very challenging at times.
0: Now, a lot of people who don't make their goals earlier in life feel discouraged or feel that their success has an expiration date? As you mentioned, you did this uh, you know, later. I mean, you had a full career and not that you're that old. I don't want to make it sound like you're 80 years old, but <laughs> you waited till uh, later in adulthood to go through a big transition. How did you address that in setting a goal later in life?
1: Well, here's the thing. I had felt the calling, Chad, just soon after I was married. I was married in the early 90s. -hmm. However, soon thereafter, by the grace of God, my wife became pregnant with my daughter. And then four years later, all of a sudden, I was blessed with a son. So I knew to be a proper father and husband, I needed to wait out my interest and my inquiry into the diaconate, knowing that First and foremost, my commitment was with my wife and my children, and I wanted to be there with them during their formative years, and I'm really glad in retrospect I did. I just wanted to table it for a while until my kids got older because there would be less of a burden on my wife because there were so many weekends when my children were younger where, for example, my daughter was really into travel basketball. And that would take us to tournaments, not only in New England, but all along the Atlantic seaboard. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, my son played Cal Ripken baseball, which is the same pretty much as Little League. And he had tournaments. He played on a travel team. We'd be taking ferry boats to Long Island. I didn't want to miss any of those precious weekends, if I could, by being in the in it. Fortunately, I think I waited the proper time where my daughter was already starting high school, and my son was finishing up eighth grade at St. Mark, where all of a sudden, I realized I was going to miss a weekend a month, but to me, it wasn't as difficult as missing a weekend a month when they were growing up.
0: When you were making that decision, though, did you feel at any time that, oh, it's too late, I'm a little too old for this, or did that ever come into play?
1: Well, without a doubt. And it's easy. And, you know, people always used to say, whether it's true or not, that the evil one will try to dissuade you from taking those new steps Mm and trying to go down a different road. And by all means, you know, as well as I do that, hear the adage that time goes by so quickly. Mm -hmm. And it totally had. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at my life. I was born in 61, and all of a sudden, it was like 2012. And I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to do this and look into the formation program, it's probably now or never. And all along, I kind of did doubt myself because I realized from talking to people that it was a commitment. And you know what? In the business world, and especially sales, you're only really as good as the last year you've been there. And I was a contracted supplier, Chad. So although I worked on site at like Unilever Home and Personal Care and or Kraft Foods, I would be a series of one-year contract. So I had to realize, too, that my life could change quickly based on a non-renewal being a contractor. So that all factored in as well. I didn't want to have the perfect or what I thought was the perfect job situation and then have it meddled or muddied by taking this leap of faith into the diaconate.
0: Now, one thing I believe is that we all have to look internally to find out what success means to us. And that changes over time. Before you were a deacon and you were in the business world, how did you view success? And what was your perception of success back then?
1: Well, it's interesting because I was in sales and I was in promotional products. So that essentially is anything with a logo on it. I had some tough years without an Anchor account, but then again, through the grace of God, I landed with a company based in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, that had the Kraft Foods account. They were looking for someone to do and be their Northeast arm working at Kraft offices. The same held true with Unilever. So the way I pretty much broached success, I hate to say it, was what I ended up with a gross income every year based on me being a commission sales rep. Of course, I had a base salary, but there were so many years where we were looking to upscale and buy a bigger house. As we had a son and a daughter, we had outgrown our original house. So for me, it was all driven by commissions and my yearly gross income. There were times where I even thought in a few of the lean years of working a second job, which I did in the restaurant industry, just to try to make ends meet. But as I got older, I got hungrier and I realized that, hey, soon enough, my kids are going to be looking at colleges. We, We sent them to a parochial school, which wasn't cheap, never had any regrets. But to answer your question, it was all pretty much... In my business, there were really no promotions. Growing accounts to certain levels, that was my drive. And I made it to the point where I realized my success, though, was based on the team that I had underneath me. You're only as good as your support. And I always made sure that however I was compensated, I would make sure that the underlings were compensated. And I'd even restructure if I had to, just to make sure that, on a good year, I would share the wealth, but it was all pretty much monetarily driven and the hope that I'd be renewed every year.
0: Yeah. That's how a lot of us go through life. Think of the goals is just business and money earning and other tangible goals. Since you've become a deacon, how has your perception of success changed?
1: Oh, it's changed twofold. You know, I realized that Good things take time. I'm no longer under the pressure of trying to make a big sale. And thankfully, as I got more into the sales realm, there were more layers of hierarchy that you had to get approval from. And quite frankly, it would drive you nuts. You would make someone the best deal in the world, and they had to rely on other people to get approval. it took a lot out of me, spiritually, emotionally, probably even physically. But I've realized now as a deacon that everything is cliche as it sounds. Everything happens in God's time. Well, it does. I've learned to slow down a little bit, not be beholden to the purchase order, not having to go the extra distance to the point where I would maybe leave family on the back burner for a few days to drive a sale. It's all kind of made sense, and thankfully it has because I'm 60 now, and although I'm years away from retirement, it it added a, a nice little landing pad, so to speak, where I could figure out exactly now what's important in life. I've worked in the trenches. I realize now that this is a simpler life that I lead. Do I miss the hustle and bustle of it? Not at all. (laughs) Um, I'm in a place now where I feel like I can finally relax. And that's part of that whole process. The fact now where I realize that I was put here in my current capacity to succeed by God. And I've loved this parish. And I think it's reciprocal. And again, it was the perfect time in my life. And it opened up another door, which... I'm sure we'll touch on momentarily the fact that because I became a deacon and opened up an avenue to be a chaplain in a hospital, which I love.
0: Before we get to the chaplain, for people who are in this situation or before, I mean, they're just chasing a dollar. They're not finding that satisfaction. What advice do you have to them to go and pursue something that might be closer to their definition of success?
1: And yeah, that's the thing. That's the one thing through all these years I've made sure that I've, pressed upon my children and some of the youth ministry here at St. James, some of the students, I always tell them that I've been through it. Your job becomes so all-encompassing that the most important thing is to find a job that fits your parameters. It's not about the almighty dollar. Of course, being compensated is important but now keeping a job is so much more important. I find that people now are more nomadic. They're jumping from job to job, maybe for the extra dollar, but the job becomes so essential a part of your life. And they were like embarrassed to say this, but my kids and wife used to make fun of me. They got to the point they wouldn't talk to me on Sunday night because I was already dreading the (laughs) week ahead for particular reasons, whether it was pressure to close a deal, maybe having a lean month, I knew then that hopefully someday I would find something where I could enjoy it. I could put in the time and never feel undue pressure, short-term, long-term, etc. Because I had paid my dues. And if you're not happy and almost looking forward to work, then you do really have to try to regenerate maybe a different game plan. Obviously, it's easier said than done. But now I look at the landscape of so many people that are just up and leaving their jobs, whether it's mandates or just being tired. And that's really because they were unfulfilled in what they were doing. And again, yeah, I guess I learned it in retrospect kind of late, but it's never too late to start all over again
0: great. That's a great message. Success doesn't have an expiration date.
1: That's a great
0: point. You had mentioned service, and you know, service is very important. Do your chaplaincy at the hospital. Why don't you guys spend a minute or two explaining what that is?
1: Sure. When I was going through formation my last year, a chaplain came in from the hospital and did a little speech about pastoral education. So we ended up taking a couple of classes over at St. Vincent's Hospital. And I felt intrigued by it. I knew being a deacon would open up avenues to help people in need, whether they were poor, they were sick. There's something about visiting those that are vulnerable in hospital, whether short-term or long-term. So Chad, it kind of piqued my interest. But I knew <laughs> unbelievably, similarly to the diaconate formation, that to get Able to become a chaplain, you had to take classes. It was called CPE, which was clinical pastoral education. And that in its own right was very difficult. I had to meet at actually Bridgeport Hospital, which is a Yale New Haven property, one night a week for hours. And then I had to, as I was learning the craft, be on call once a month for a 24 hour shift, twice a month for 12 hour shifts. And shadow some of the deacons that had chaplains that had been there forever. And even that was very difficult. But I found that was after I had been ordained. And I found the time and the love to pursue that. And that to me has been more than I ever wished because we know that people are hurting, some of them without family members, just to see someone who I can walk into a hospital room that hasn't conversed with anyone other than hospital personnel to make them smile, to most importantly, to listen to their story. I've always felt being a chaplain, you want to go into that room and leave that room, making that person feel better about themselves. And some people are more troubled than others. But just to get them to smile, to realize that you're listening, that you're there to pray for them, It was the perfect segue, Chad, on the heels of being ordained and sent to St. James. And I thank God for it every day. I mean, there's no way I would have become a chaplain without being a deacon. It was just all of God's plan. And I do it a couple of nights a week, and I fill in anywhere between 10 and 15 to 20 hours a week. It provides balance. It's difficult. Sometimes they get called to a trauma. Sometimes they get called to a passing, to try to deal with family members, it's difficult. Sometimes I have sleepless nights and you have to draw boundaries, but essentially you're there to be able to hug someone, to listen to them, to give a shoulder to cry on. It's, it's all part of the whole service modus operandi that I mentioned earlier, God wanted me to do.
0: Well, I want to thank you very much for sharing your story today. I mean, just to give people an idea that success goes beyond business, success goes beyond money, and give us a unique view of what a different type of success can be. If people are interested in joining the diaconate, what would you recommend they do?
1: The first thing they can do is go on the Diocese of Bridgeport website, and there's a spot to click on for the diaconate. They have special sessions from time to time for those that are intrigued and want to hear about it. It was an application process. You have to get approval from your pastor. There was psychological counseling, which my wife to this day says she's surprised I ever got through. But it's, a, it's a process, but now it's advanced so much where it's done at Dunwoody which is beautiful. It's over in Yonkers. It's a seminary. And now not only are you ordained a deacon, but for those that want to pursue theology even further, you get a master's degree in theology. That's something that wasn't offered to me. But again, now they've streamlined it where you can even take classes online And the process is quicker. Instead of five and a half years, it's more like four years now. It's something to prey on, and they'll tell you to discern because you need the backing of your family, of your children, your wife, parents, and coworkers to make it work.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time today. It was great speaking with you. I look forward to talking to you again in the future.
1: Yeah. Likewise, Chad. Like I said, you've always made me feel comfortable and to be able to help a friend and share a story is perfect for me. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is the pilot episode. So your feedback is important to me. Please leave your comments. So I know what to improve on, what to keep the same and to see if we should even continue with the podcast. I appreciate your support and look forward to hearing from you.